The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League controversy. UEFA struggling to arrange a draw. Maybe they should have asked Italian clubs at the end of the season. But anyway, we'll discuss what came out when they'd finished Arshavin about and then get all the latest league news from Germany, France, Spain, Italy and beyond from the Madrid derby to Bronx cheers in the MLS Cup and Ronnie Dyler's push-ups. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, so good to have you with us. I'm sat here with Alvaro Romeo, Julian Laurence, Raphael Honigstein and James Horncastle on the afternoon of Monday the 13th of December. Hello to you, everybody. Hello. 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 Lovely stuff. Yes, that 13th of December, the one with the UEFA draw that happened twice with a, a lap with a safety car in between. Uh, Rafa, you just spent the last hour answering people on social media saying, why couldn't Liverpool play Villarreal? <laughs> because uh, that would have left Inter playing either Juve or Real Madrid, which both mm. wasn't possible. So Liverpool right. had to be kept out. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they did the draw. And you probably know this, listen, but if you weren't following the, all the action from Neon Live, lunchtime on Monday, they did the draw and then it emerged that... Uh, one of the teams had been put in the wrong pot because Man United shouldn't have been in with Villarreal. Let he, he was never put his balls in the wrong place, throw the first stone at UEFA. Mistakes can happen. <laughs> the important thing is they redid it. And I'm going to say maybe, did they redo it better? It depends um, what club. Depends, yeah. Depends, I think yeah, Florentino Perez does not think so. No? No. I'm not sure PSG do either. All right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll get to the draw in a, in, in a second or two and break down what awaits us come the spring. Uh, but how about we start with the traditional round of moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. Jules. Well, I think as to be Kylian Mbappe's, uh, one of the two goals he scored against Monaco, which was his 100th since joining PSG in the summer 2017. Uh, 100 goals, that's a lot of goals. Uh, only Ibra and Cavani have scored more than 100 uh, in the league, that's in the league, by the way, for a PSG uh, player. I think Kylian is on 145 in all competitions. So, well done and against his former team, Monaco, as well. Oh, yeah. Narrative. Alvaro. I think it has to be Luka Modric in general and his game against Atletico de Madrid. I mean, his performance was phenomenal. It was a combination of athleticism, uh, competitive edge, uh, quality. And uh, he was running a lot as well. And Ancelotti uh, said after the game that he had been spectacular with the ball and without the ball. And probably Carletto, a former midfielder, knows more uh, or knows a thing or two about uh, midfielders. Luka Modric, at the age of 36, he ran the Real Madrid derby. Excellent. James Horncastle. Well, let's go back to Friday night, the Derby de la Lanterna, because uh, Samp uh, won it uh, and after an incredible week in which uh, which had started with their owner, Massimo Ferreira, going to Milan to talk to Dejan Stankovic about becoming the, the new coach of Sampdoria, only Ferreira was busted uh, by police. He was arrested uh, as an investigation into his financial affairs uh, looms. He was put behind bars. And so Roberto de Versa, uh, the Sampdoria coach, stayed in charge <laughs> and won the biggest game of the season uh, for, for Samp against Genoa and then uh, had the dignity and the grace to uh, dedicate the win uh, to Massimo uh, Ferrero, uh, who uh, was watching, I think, in his cell in the San Vittorio mm. prison. Yeah, judging by the illustrations in the Gazette, they, they, it looked quite plush. The, the, uh, yeah, it had an en suite uh, by the looks of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked, I mean, that's what it looked like. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, uh, but crime doesn't pay in that. Uh, Rafa. Harvard Nielsen, James. Who is he? Well, he's the goal scorer for Greuther Fürth in their first win of the season after 12 defeats. They finally did it. It is Nielsen in the strafraum. Nielsen and the ball goes irgendwie rein. Da führen sie. Um 16.43 haben sie vier Punkte in dieser Saison. This is actually the first home game they've ever won in the history in the Bundesliga against Union Berlin. Big moment for them, but they still only have four points, so mm. it might all be in vain. It might, but maybe they'll pick up another three points now they got into the winning habit this midweek when they take on Borussia Dortmund. We shall see. Anyway, those are some of the stories we'll be touching on 
in this Totally Football Show. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begamblerware.org. All right then, this Champions League draw business. Second time around, who have we got? Uh, so, uh, Jules, your Paris Saint-Germain have got Real Madrid. Yeah, Real Madrid, who had previously got Benfica and asked UEFA to restart the draw from that point onwards. Benfica instead get Ajax. This Paris Saint-Germain-Real Madrid fixture looks... I mean, there's there's no end of, of stuff for you guys to be writing about pre-game. No? Mbappé yeah. playing at the Bernabeu ahead of his move there. Ramos. Super League against UEFA's best friend. Right. The best thing would, would be that Kylian could already have signed his contract for Real Madrid for next season before the first leg even happened, which is wow. which would be something pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, that has happened before. We've seen players who knew they were going to play for X team before actually facing them towards the end of the, 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 the current season. But that would be pretty special. Carlo Ancelotti, of course, coming back to, mm. to Paris and playing against PSG. Uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of narratives uh, between the two and, and usually Real Madrid being too good for PSG in this uh, competition. Right. I'm at the moment, the way things are at the moment, 10 straight wins now, Alvaro. They're looking extraordinary. Yeah, and uh, 13 games without a defeat. I think that Real Madrid at the minute they are cruising through in La Liga. Carlo Ancelotti is not doing rotations at all because he has detected that this is the right time to put as many points difference with the rest of the clubs as Real Madrid can before Christmas and the game has so many angles because um, it's also Messi going back to Bernabeu it's also Sergio Ramos who knows mm. he's been living in a, on a stretcher so far but maybe he's, he's ready by February and um, even Ashraf Hakimi is there so so many players who have had the past with Real Madrid or with PSG facing each other it's going to be a, a really nice contest this one mm. Man United incidentally had drawn Paris Saint-Germain the first time they did uh, the, the balls from the, the various pots. Instead, they're going to be taking Atletico Madrid. Is that a better draw for them? It certainly doesn't seem a good draw for Atletico, who are up against their old nemesis, Cristiano Ronaldo. True, but they were playing against Bayern um, in the original draw, and I think they have avoided one of the darkest possible beasts. So I think Real Madrid, sorry, Atletico should be kind of happy with the second row, even though Manchester United is a very good club and we know all that. But I believe that Atletico de Madrid will be, as I said before, more or less content with the outcome of, the, of this draw. Okay. Man United, I'm not sure, uh, but they'll probably be happy to avoid Paris Saint-Germain, although it worked out well for them uh, last time the two teams met. Ralph's at the wheel. <laughs> Ralph's at the wheel. There Give him go. a permanent contract. Put the paper there, <laughs> get him to sign it. Sign that thing. Sporting are going to be Manchester City's opponents, lucky things. That's a sexy draw, that. Yeah. That is really sexy game. We've seen Sporting being really attacking, entertaining. They will score, they will concede more than they score, we can tell you that right now. Uh, but it would be cool. And then there's a lot of, again, little stories within the story of the match. Bernardo Silva, Ruben Diaz coming back to, to Portugal, who obviously were Benfica, Joao Cancelo as well. So there's a lot of nice little stories there. Good. And Chelsea Lille, the Eden Hazard, Joe Cole derby. Uh, I net. love Joe Cole's commentary of this on BT. What did he thing. say? He was like, it's just a lovely commute for the, the Chelsea boys. They just hop on the Eurostar, <laughs> you know. <laughs> something. He was ah. giving like travel advice. It was amazing. He was like, get to, you know, go back to the That's why he used to do so much, I swear. He used to live it on was the great. train. <laughs> I loved it. Um, <laughs> who else do you do imitation-wise, James Horncastle? Yeah, I, I He's really good at it. Have you not heard it, your voice, James Richardson? He does it so well. Really? Unreal. He does oh, a yeah, very yeah. good John Terry in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> John Terry spoke to Gazetta. Anyway, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea and Lille uh, met in the group stage, listener, as you recall, in 2019. Chelsea winning both meetings 2-1. Juventus will face Villarreal, who put Atalanta out on that rescheduled game on Thursday, 3-2. Liverpool, who were going to be facing Salzburg, now get Inter. Still, if their last trip to San Siro is anything to go by, they will they may feel comfortable with that. Salzburg, instead of Liverpool, get FC Bayern, which is kind of like a local derby, Rafa. It is a little bit, yeah. 
Um, Munich is the closest uh, international airport to Salzburg. Uh, Salzburg itself doesn't have many flights. And for people in Salzburg, Bayern is sort of the, the big the big brother. Not so much a rival, but sort of the team that they really like, would like to beat. And yeah, they played each other. What did Leipzig Champions think about that? Group stage? Well, Leipzig... Um, <laughs> You don't want to be like us. <laughs> they are not connected at all, of course, Leipzig and Salzburg, as you know, um, James. Yeah. There's no, there's no Rasenball. ties yeah. or anything. But no, it's it should be a really good one. And Bayern, I think, are happy because Salzburg play really well, play some good stuff, but they also give away a lot of goals. So I think mm. Bayern will be, be quite happy. Okay. The opposite of Atletico Madrid in that respect. Which draw are you looking forward to the most then? Go on, pick one. Me, um, mm. I, I think it's Real Madrid PSG because right. at least, at least one team that all the neutrals love will be out. <laughs> uh, Jules, you're going with Sporting, eh? In the clash with Man City. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Villarreal Juventus. Girl, that's going to be incredible. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I have the Sporting City. I like uh, if I because Rafa has already picked uh, the 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 game of his dreams in PSG against Real Madrid. So I, yeah, I go for Sporting City. All right, Alvaro. I'm going to stay with uh, Atletico de Madrid, Manchester United. Uh, oh yeah, these clubs they don't used to face each other a lot to start with. And then I believe that, uh, really, this is going to be a very big test for both of them because so far in the Champions League, they haven't been power forces over the last uh, five or six years. So, you know, being in the quarterfinals is about good enough for them both right now. Mm. All right. But as I say, the spectre of Cristiano Ronaldo hanging over that tie with his incredible track record of knocking Atleti out yeah. uh, in this competition. Uh, that leaves you with, I think, uh, Chelsea Lille, James. <laughs> No, Love James. In, in my parallel universe, uh, which, which happened earlier today, you know, I was booking flights to Lisbon for Juventus Sporting. I was booking flights to Amsterdam for Inter against Ajax. Ooh, and uh, now I think I'll just stay at home. Oh, um, but uh, <laughs> well, You don't fancy Inter against Liverpool? Well, uh, you know, I think we were on a That's show a the other week. Jules, where I was saying that, you know, Inter could be a bit of a revelation yeah. in, in this. Uh, drawing Liverpool, I think, makes that harder, um, just because I think Liverpool will be in the final uh, come the end of the season. Klopp, I love Klopp's reaction. I waited 54 years to go to San Siro, and now I'm going twice in the same year. <laughs> um, but Inter will be a different proposition, more experienced than, uh, than Milan, and certainly, as we found out on Golazzo Live, or... I mean, safe found out. We've been following them all season. Uh, I've been playing some excellent football, James, um, mm. which should make this, um, yeah, a cracking game. Yeah, your Joe Cole was better, though, I, I would say. Uh, all right, well, also happening on Monday uh, at UEFA headquarters, nice, uh, were the uh, Europa League and Europa Conference League draws. The mechanism being that this puts the third-place finishers from your Champions League groups against second-place side from the Europa League groups. Kind of the standout ties, I would suggest, are Rangers against Borussia Dortmund, Porto against Lazio, and Barcelona against Napoli. Woof. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is Barcelona's new reality, and they will have to face it. And this is a possibility for them, for them to qualify for next year's Champions League. So they shouldn't throw away this competition at all. And I also like, if I may, James, the game between... Um, Real Sociedad and RB Leipzig, because mm. I do believe that these two teams, they try to play entertaining football and uh, they're going to put a hell of a fight in there. I think that uh, this game is going to be really difficult for Real Sociedad, but uh, it's very good to test their level as well. Mm. RB Leipzig, who have got themselves a new new manager this week, as Rafa will be uh, revealing later on. Also coming up in the Europa League playoffs, you've got Sevilla against Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, Atlanta against Olympiacos, Zenit St. Petersburg against uh, Real Betis, who are flying high in La Liga at the moment, and Sheriff up against Braga. Good. And then, of course, you've got the Conference League. Bear with me while I just announced that it's Marseille against Carabag, PSV against Maccabi Tel Aviv, Fernabashi against Slavia Prague, Michelin against Pauk, Leicester against Randers, the Danish side, a Celtic against Bodo Glimt who caused one of the upsets of the uh, Conference League group stage. And Sparta Prague against Partizan Belgrade. Yay, Partizan Belgrade in the house. Yeah. And Rapid Vienna against Spurs, or maybe not, maybe Vitesse. 
probably Vitesse at this point. Anyway, there you go. Crikey. I didn't think Spurs could qualify. I'm a bit lost. Well, I think... Uh, anybody able to point Jules in the right direction? I thought on the head-to-head with Vitesse, they were out anyway. So whether even if they win 10-0 against Rennes, which they're not going to do, yes, that's why this I, game is never going to be played, no? I thought that uh, they, it, they could still get into this draw for oh, the... Wow. Yeah, that's just to stay in the Conference League. Yeah, anyway. I think that uh, in the head-to-head they are drawn and the away goal rule doesn't matter. Right. So I think that they can still qualify. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, that's enough on the Conference League draw. Next up, let's talk about Sunday night's Madrid derby. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Ahí va Condovia, encima va Benzema, juego para Asensio, Asensio para Vinicius, Vinicius la pone atrás, Benzema para gol, 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 gol. Ahí estamos, ¿ves cómo nos hemos Sunday night at the Bernabeu Avaro, a 2-0 victory for Real Madrid. Just as it had been midweek, in fact, over Inter. They're beating all comers at the moment. And a sumptuous volley from Karim Benzema back in the side. Karim the dream! Julien the meme. (laughs) 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 I was waiting for that moment. People thought I was not doing enough lately. Is that what they said? Who are these people? (laughs) Fans, you know. Fans. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, to be fair, if ever there was a a moment for a Kareem to, uh, you know, show the Kareem of the, you know, that he's the cream of the crop and all that. Sorry. Yes, it was the uh, magnificent volley which opened up the scoring in this game. Karim the Dream, uh, I think that he has scored this year 36 uh, goals in all competitions, so mm. Jules could have done it 36 times, and it's yes. pretty impressive, pretty impressive by Karim Benzema, considering that he came into, into this game with a bit of a muscular problem, and in fact, in the halftime, he had to be replaced by Luka Jovic, but uh, Real Madrid is running away very fast with the title, maybe too fast, uh, because they are already eight points ahead of uh, Sevilla, nine points ahead of Betis, 13 points ahead of Atletico de Madrid. And I do know that some of these clubs, like Atletico or Sevilla, they've got games in hand. But uh, still, uh, Real Madrid is at the minute the best team in Spain. And uh, I think that Carlo Ancelotti has been quite clever. He has understood that uh, in this moment there is an opportunity to gather points because the teams behind them, they are having rough times, rough patches like Barcelona, for example, or even Atletico, or they just can't follow them. So Carlo Ancelotti is not rotating at all. Ten players, we do know that they are going to play always, and the only question is who is going to play on the right uh, as a forward. Is it either Marco Asensio, who played yesterday against uh, Atletico de Madrid, or is it Rodrigo? So with this system and with this uh, very clear idea of getting as many points as possible right now, Real Madrid is uh, running away with it. I mean, they got 10 wins in a row, 13 games unbeaten, and uh, they are having such a run in a moment when no one is particularly illuminated, I think. No one is particularly great. And uh, yeah, this moment uh, is quite crucial for La Liga, I think, because if you look at Real Madrid and uh, they look like they are playing effortlessly, uh, they are... Some of them playing using their memory, like Cross, Modric, Casemiro. They've been playing together so many years that this is working very well for them. And they have a lot of moves and passes automated. Then uh, Luka Modric, uh, it's a different, made of a different material. I mean, he, he, he's a great player and he's 36 years old and he's going to be in the next World Cup. And Carlo Ancelotti couldn't believe how good uh, he has been. Probably he is more impressed by Luka Modric right now than during his first spell at Real Madrid. Then the goalkeeper, Courtois, is excellent. Then Karim Benzema is punctual when it comes to scoring. I spoke a lot, a lot about Vinicius this year. So, yeah, everything is working for Real Madrid. And I will say something else. Since uh, Ferland Mendy came back, and this is no 
this is no joke. I mean, Real Madrid hasn't lost the game uh, because this player has put everyone in their own place or in their places. Alaba has become a centre-back, uh, Militao has a better partner with Alaba, and then Nacho is on the bench and Carvajal is playing on the right. So when Mendy came, Real Madrid's defence started looking tidy and uh, since his uh, arrival to the starting eleven, which is at the beginning of November, Real Madrid hasn't lost a single game. It's remarkable, isn't it? Ancelotti, coming into this uh, job, didn't have the, the greatest of track records at his recent clubs. Things, of course, at Everton had been a little bit difficult there. How surprised are you at how well he's got this Real Madrid running? Uh, I admire that. Uh, very surprised. I'm not. I'm not very surprised because I think that uh, a couple of things explain all this. Number one, all the clubs, they are going through a rough one. And uh, you look at the Champions League and you see Barcelona just qualifying, going down to the Europa League, Atletico de Madrid coming second in their group, Sevilla is out of the Champions League. So there is no actual rival for Real Madrid, for La Liga title, even though I think that Atletico de Madrid still has something to say. And then everything Ancelotti does or has done in the top clubs always came with a lot of naturality uh, at Bayern, at PSG, Milan, Real Madrid. It's like he doesn't complicate himself too much. And I believe that this is the key for uh, Ancelotti's success so far at Real Madrid. The fact that he's putting the players in their position, using the best one he's got available right now, and the team is defensive when they have to, like for example against Inter Milan the other day, they sit back and they went out in the counter-attack. And, you know, some other managers, they would, have, they would have been criticized for that because you know how Real Madrid fans are and Real Madrid press. But I think that Carlo Ancelotti... Is so liked, he doesn't look for the conflict, he's a man of harmony. So if he makes some decisions, like for example, playing defensively against teams like Inter, uh, mm. his critics are not going to go that hard at him or critics in general. So I think that this is one of the keys with Carlo Ancelotti too. And everything is working so far. And of course, Real Madrid and Barcelona, they are like communicating chains in a way. If one of them mm -hmm. is doing very badly and the other one is doing okay, it looks like the one doing okay is do doing better than they are. So right. it is a little bit like this. And uh, the fact that Barcelona is doing so badly and the fact that they are gathering all the attention for the wrong reasons, that's going in the favor of Real Madrid as well. Barcelona are full 18 points behind the Merengues after this weekend's action. The closest rivals to Carlos Real Madrid are the two Sevillan sides, uh, Sevilla second and Real Betis third. Oh, we had uh, Colin Miller talking about the remarkable job that Manuel Pellegrini's done at, at uh, Betis in, in Monday's show. Uh, six wins in the last seven now. Yeah, and I think that they recovered from uh, losing the Sevilla Derby and losing against Atletico and Bayer Leverkusen in the space of 10 days. That was hard for Betis because uh, they were unstoppable back in October and at the beginning of November. And then that happened and it looked like, all right, maybe Betis right now is going to sink down little by little, but they haven't. Uh, they are playing really well. Uh, some of the players up front, they are probably having the football of their life right now or playing the football of their life, the likes of Canales, even Juanmi, the former Southampton player who is the Spanish top scorer in La Liga, Fekir is playing really good football as well, Alex Moreno, he's been a top addition for Betis too, and uh, hats off with Pellegrini too because Betis is playing a really good attacking football, and uh, Pellegrini, when he was the Real Madrid manager, I think that he went through uh, a period of very heavy critics by Marca, especially, uh, to the point that they were sometimes mocking him. I remember when Real Madrid didn't win La Liga after making like 90 plus points against Bar Guardiola's Barcelona. The day after Barcelona won the league, Marca, uh, Marca's headline was Manolo starts despedido, which is like Manolo, you are fired. And uh, even the way they call him Manolo instead of Manuel, because Manolo can be a bad abbreviation for the name of Manuel, was pretty derogatory. And it's good to see that Pellegrini is back in La Liga, is doing very well. And uh, another fun fact, I mean, Pellegrini has always qualified for a, Span a Spanish team for Europe, with the exception of uh, not qualifying Malaga, the season he arrived at Malaga, which I believe that he arrived to the club in mid-season. So that mm. tells you that he knows Spanish, Spanish football upside down, and probably the best Villarreal, the best Malaga, and the best Betis in many years uh, have something in common, which is having Pellegrini on the bench. Excellent. All right, well, a 4-0 victory over the previously high-flying Real Sociedad this weekend. Barcelona, meantime, held to a 2-2 draw by Osasuna. Anything new, Alvaro, to say about Xavi's Barca from this game? 
Well, Xavi said after the game that it was very difficult to digest that the youngsters uh, were keeping the team standing. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, this is clearly a critic to the players with a bit more rank, a bit older. Um, not only the old players like uh, Piquet or Busquets, uh, Jordi Alba wasn't there, but also those in-betweeners like the likes of uh, Coutinho or Frankie de Jong who are actually never or very very few times actually like uh, stepping up and mm -hmm. uh, having a great impact for Barcelona even though the de Jong thing uh, has many nuances too and I believe that uh, there is still hope in de Jong because he, he showed his quality last season from January until the end of May I think that he was a very good player for Barcelona but yeah um, this is a team that relies a lot on uh, the energy that the youngsters have. Uh, in fact, uh, Nico was one of the scorers. Abde was the other scorer at uh, Osasuna's ground. Araujo is their best centre-back. Gavi is having a good season. Fati and Pedri Barcelona supporters are waiting for them. So yeah, I think that uh, this is a moment in which Barcelona, they will have to fight a lot to qualify for uh, fourth in La Liga. And maybe this season is putting Messi's work last season more into perspective. Because mm. last, last year, Messi scored a combined uh, 38 goals between La Liga and the rest of the competitions. And uh, probably Lionel Messi's goals were uh, covering many flows that Barcelona had. So, you know, I was thinking last week that maybe the Ballon d'Or to Lionel Messi, if he ha it, it had been given a week later after Barcelona's uh, elimination from the Champions League, maybe a fewer people would have said that uh, that was unfair. Right. What was it? Just lastly on this, but what was the, what was the reaction in Catalonia to uh, the 3-0 defeat at Bayern Munich? Which, which saw them out of the Champions League knockouts for the first time since 2001. Was it kind of resignation or was there still surprise about it? No, there was not a bigger surprise. I think that there was a resignation about it, like this is what we are now. And uh, there were the first critics to Xavi as well, perhaps for not having been able to improve the team much from uh, Barcelona's performance against Bayern in September that ended up in 3-0, I believe, to mm -hmm. Barcelona's performance at Allianz Arena in December, 3-0 again, but the truth is that Barcelona looked to me slightly better in December than in September, even though there is still a long way to go. Um, and let's not forget something as well. And this is a remark that uh, I've been thinking about uh, this week because I believe that this matters. Barcelona has had many injuries, yeah, every club has injuries, but having all the injuries in the attacking department, there is an, an element of bad luck in that. A little bit like Liverpool last season with the center backs when uh, three or four suddenly got injured and then it's very difficult to win games if uh, you don't have even the second line uh, defenders or the you know the deputy strikers in your team. Barcelona the other day uh, played only with the Luke de Jong up front and I know that this is a problem that goes beyond the injuries. I know that this is a problem of uh, a sporting policy but still having Memphis, Fati, uh, Braithwaite and Agüero who is set to retire, possibly, out is a bit of bad luck as well. Certainly is. All right, well, there you go. Uh, we'll see if their luck improves before February when they take on Napoli. have also been hit with uh, injuries galore currently. We'll talk about CDR later. Next up, Jules is going to tell us all about how one team has gone 13 points clear at the top of Liga. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Burnley fan Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a Grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures, the quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party, the five-a-side drinks, schoolmates, dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Season season supply. 18 plus. Be gamble aware. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Well, listener, Paris Saint Germain with a 2 0 victory over Monaco Sunday night, extending their lead at the top of the French uh, First Division. Remarkable stuff. Very snazzy outfits they were wearing, Jules. Gold lettering and numbering to mark Lionel Messi's Ballon d'Or win. Some said it was a bit cheesy. Do you I reckon? Not, I could not really make my, my mind up. I didn't have mind you bought it. that kit? I, you don't have to do it. I haven't bought the kit. They haven't right. sent it to me yet. I'm not, I'm not going to buy it, I think. And they were crap, to be fair, with it, wearing it. So Really? They won. Yeah. 
They won't, but it was just like another of those performances where I thought they were second best from pretty much the whole game. Monaco playing really well. Right. Creating more chances, hitting the post and nil-nil. At least having some sort of identity. You knew what they were doing. PSG, apart from playing on the counter-attack, which is, I'm being told, this is the new thing now from Poch. Let's play on the counter-attack. Hey, it's true that you don't have any players to keep the ball and actually play a good brand of football. You need to play on the counter-attack like small teams do, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Jules, has that sharpened their minds at kind of PSG Central, this, this draw with Real Madrid, in terms of things they might like to sort out before February's last 16 matches, either in terms of acquisitions or, or, or maybe the coaching personnel or anything? Any changes you're expecting? No, I don't think so. They they really wanted to avoid the English clubs. So I think mm. well, certainly Liverpool and City. So on that level, I think, and Bayern, so they, they'd be happy. I don't think Poch is going to change now. He's going to move or anything that Zidane can come in February, halfway through the season and even less to play his former team. So I think we can forget unless something disastrous happened and they lose the next 10 games, then yeah. But they will continue like this anyway. Even, even if it's not convincingly, they will still... They will keep winning. There will be the winter break. So Poch will still be on the bench for the Real Madrid game, which, you know, in a way, is a, is a nice narrative too because, you know, I think he's, he's flirted before with Real Madrid and certainly likes the idea of maybe one day coaching them as much as United. So that would be interesting. But and, and in terms of the players, it's more about selling in January than anything else. So the likes of Kerrer and Dagba and Kurzawa and all those useless players that they want to get rid of but could not do it in the summer they would have to, to do it now but I don't think anyone will come and then I think they'll have their fingers crossed that Mbappe doesn't do anything before that first leg against Real Madrid Right Also in the Champions League draws we mentioned our Lille which is quite an achievement Jules Yeah amazing to finish top of their group as well even if it was a very evenly balanced group we, when the draw was made we were like okay yeah Sevilla maybe slightly favourite above everybody else but still quite open so well done to them. They were very good, especially in the, the second part of the group. Uh, and we saw against Lyon on Sunday, even if it was a nil-nil draw and in the end a bit disappointing, but they played really well. They created enough to win the game. It's just Antonio Lopez in goal was very good and, and saves Peter Bosch's head for a bit longer because I think had they lost that game, Lyon would have been in big trouble. But for Lille, they've got a good, good dynamic, good momentum. It's still Chelsea and... And it'll be tough. But like Govenek said on French TV this morning, uh, at lunchtime, he said, this is great for us. It's going to be amazing for the fans to see all those Chelsea superstars coming. We've got mm. nothing to lose, which is true. If they win, it's one of the biggest exports ever. If they don't win, it's normal. So they're going to go for it. And they hope that Ikone will still be with them. I don't think he will be. So they, they will sign someone to replace him. But um, let's hope they can still be very competitive and see if they can trouble them a little bit. Jules, under the radar in Ligue 1 this week. Big game between Nice and Rennes. Rennes have been, what, a bit of a revelation. Yeah. Nice under Galtier go there and they win. It's a big win. It's a big win. It's because Nice have been a bit up and down. Um, they lost at home to Mets, for example, two, two weeks ago. So they had some really good performances and some bad ones. And I think this one was really important. And you could see that Galtier, you know, is quite... Um, he, he looks like a nice guy. Well, he's a nice guy, but he's, he's really tough as well. You know, he's had, when he was a player at Marseille, he had a lot of little moments of altercation in, in tunnels or dressing rooms. Don't, you don't, just don't mess with him. And I think does he, he have a nickname, have Jules? Does he have a he nickname? Does, I don't think so. I, don't, I was trying to think because I knew you were going to ask the question. Jean-Paul. Monsieur Ajibaji. Monsieur Ajibaji. Yeah, because it was a, you know, a bit like that. At the height of the Marseille-Monaco rivalry, mm. he was pretty, pretty good. Um, and you could you could feel they were just more aggressive than Rennes. Rennes, who had to go to London, of course, for shopping because they didn't play against Spurs, <laughs> having to come back. It was not ideal, uh, uh, although they love Selfridges. But so it was maybe that played a bit. But yeah, I think I think Nice were really good on that game. It was a very convincing win. Excellent. Rennes uh, this midweek will be taking on Monaco and a full round of fixtures. Tuesday, Wednesday, and I think Thursday as well. Is that right, Jules? Yes, that's right, yeah. All Do you right. think Pep will overthink this game against Monaco as he did so many years ago? Oh, no, it's Pep Ginesia. Yeah. Yes, another mm. Pep. He's brother oh. from another mother. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
The MLS season came to a close this weekend with the first ever national trophy for NYCFC from the City Football Group, of course. Uh, seven years on from being founded, New York City champions, uh, after a victory on penalties at Portland against the Portland Timbers. Crikey, joining us now on the line is Sam Stasekel, MLS riser for The Athletic. Uh, Sam, you were at the game. I was. Uh, it was an incredible environment and a pretty dramatic final. Right. It sounded, uh, well, awesome. After the Timbers came back, it was literally the last kick of the game to equalise. Yeah, it was completely insane. Uh, the Timbers weren't able to do much going forward, but as New York City kind of, as the game progressed and New York City was holding on to their 1-0 lead, they started naturally to sit back a little more and Portland started throwing the kitchen sink at them. <laughs> and, and literally the five seconds left in second half stoppage time, they were able to just lump the ball into the box and there was kind of a mad scrum in there and it popped out to their striker, Felipe Mora, who found himself unmarked at the back post and he was able to put the ball in. Um, it was the sound, I wrote that it was the best sound in sports. There's no better moment than a late equalizer or a late winner in, an, in a match with incredible stakes in an environment that's just kind of been boiling and building over the course of 90 minutes. It was so emotional. Felipe Mora, the goal scorer, was actually crying before he even reached the corner as part of his celebration. He was so overcome with emotion. Um, so it really an incredible moment, incredible scenes, and incredible credit to New York for surviving that emotional gut punch to limit Portland in extra time, get to penalties, and then win in the shootout. Absolutely. NYCFC become the fourth member of the City Football Group to currently be holding a national title. It's remarkable stuff. I think a lot of people were taken by the scenes of uh, former Celtic manager Ronnie Dyler stripping down to his underwear uh, <laughs> afterwards. What, was the, what were the temperatures like there at Providence Park? Yeah, so it was, it was a very Pacific Northwest day here in the States, which is probably familiar to your listeners in England. It felt very much like an English day. Right. It was cold, it was rainy, it was windy. So actually before the game, you know, as part of the pregame production and for, for TV and for the fans in the stadium, MLS has a giant inflatable MLS Cup trophy that they were wheeling out to the field. And it was so windy that they wheeled this this inflatable trophy out to midfield and it blew over and completely ripped at the base. So they had to wheel it off. So that gives you kind of an idea of the conditions. Uh, winds were gusting up to 40 miles an hour. Um, so it kind of added some drama to the match. The wind thankfully sort of died down as the game went on. So it didn't mm. affect things too, too much. But it was it was raining pretty hard all game. And, um, you know, I think it added to kind of the, the atmosphere. There were 25,000 folks there in the stadium, completely full crowd. It's the best stadium for soccer in, I think, the U.S. and Canada, for that matter. Um, and it was it was really loud, really raucous, really good environment. So uh, it added to the occasion, but if not necessarily made it the best for, for actually playing the sport. Right. Excellent. In the meantime, it's been a, a, another fine season for MLS. I, I've seen some people raising the issue of, whether the uh, playoff route for determining the champion is is still the best one for the league to use. And citing the example of a New England Revolution who posted the best regular season numbers anyone's ever had and, and still didn't get anywhere at all in, in the playoffs. They were, what, 12 points clear at the end of the regular season? Yeah, they finished with 73 points, which was the all-time most in MLS. But the issue with this is that MLS... This season had 27 teams. Next year, there will be 28. By 2023, there will be 30. Um, or excuse me, there will be 29. So the league has, has reached a size at this point where having a balanced schedule is mm. impossible. Um, so, you know, unless you want to do every team plays every other team one time, and it's just you alternate who hosts and who's the away team per year, um, then you can't really do a balanced regular season schedule, and even that wouldn't be entirely balanced. So my question is, what's the alternative if you're not going to do playoffs, right? It, there's not really a good solution for the league. One thing that they could try and clean up is the timing of the playoffs. So New England, who you mentioned, they had 23 days between their last regular season game and their first playoff game. And basically a full month off. Part of that was for the international window in November. Part of it was due to NFL scheduling and issues. They play at the Patriots Stadium. Part of it was TV stuff. But 
anytime you have that long of a break, you're going to lose momentum. You're going to lose form. It's basically impossible to stay sharp. And NYCFC beat New England, right? And they had played a playoff game mm. uh, just a few days before. So they were sharper. They were riding a high. And then they go to, to New England, who had a bye in the first round of the playoffs. And they're able to advance past them. So that is something that I think needs to be figured out. But scheduling issues are complex for MLS. And I'm sort of of the opinion that the league is almost always between a rock and a hard place. There's no real good solution for them. Plus a playoff uh, finale is so much uh, was so ingrained, I guess, into the way that uh, North America does it, its sports that mm-hmm. that's almost the default position. But so MLS, as you you touched on there, expanding by about a team a year at the moment. Charlotte next season and St. Louis in 2023. Yeah, it's been wild, and it seems like Las Vegas is not far behind. Um, they'll likely be announced as the 30th team. I would guess early in 2022, and then maybe begin play in 2024. Um, so the expansion has been really rapid, you know, even I think 2014, there were only 18 teams in the league. Um, so it's been, it's been quite wow. dramatic. Um, you know, you're talking about adding 12 teams over the course of 10 years, if Vegas does begin in 2024. And that's had a few different implications on the league. Um, obviously they're, they're in more markets now than ever before. Some of these new teams that have come in have done a really nice job of being ambitious and going out and making huge signings and creating massive fan bases. Atlanta United and LAFC would be high on that list um, of two of the kind of better expansion clubs in, in that way. Um, so it'll be interesting. There have been, I think, some some not so positive side effects. Uh, MLS teams, they have to have a certain number of domestic players on their rosters, which I think is a, is a good thing for the development of the game in this part of the world. But um, when you're adding 12 teams in the course of a decade hmm. and everybody has to have 10, 15 domestic players on their roster, well, you know, you're sort of diluting that player pool a little bit for the league. And I think that's had some implications, even as MLS has increased spending in other areas of, of the roster for signing players. Is that the question now going forward for, for MLS, whether it keeps in place some of those regulations on salary caps, etc., which I, I guess were in, in place to begin with to kind of protect the league as it grew, but whether it's mm-hmm. time to throw those off. I don't think they'll ever be thrown off. I wrote a story about this right before the game, the day before MLS Cup. Um, they'll never be thrown off because this is sort of the model um, that MLS has built itself on. It's a model that has allowed these teams to have their valuations go into the 600 $700 million range in mm. some cases. Um, it provides a level of safety and a, a low level of risk, and it ensures that owners you know, can control their spend and still be respectable and still compete. Um, I think it's fair to say, though, that MLS has kind of leaned a little bit too far in that direction. Uh, there is almost zero correlation between wages and points in MLS. And and not saying that that's a bad thing on balance, but when you're a league that isn't the best league in the world, right, um, that is trying to attract new fans and is trying to play better soccer and is trying to become more of a player internationally in competitions against Liga MX teams, for example, um, then you need to raise that level. And the way MLS has structured itself, you know, even at the current level of spend, the regulations mean that the teams can't be as good as they otherwise could be, even if you just had a spending floor and a spending ceiling. But there are so many little restrictions within the salary budget that MLS does have that it just makes it hard to be efficient if you're assembling a roster. All right. Sam, thank you so much for explaining all of that. And, uh, well, I look forward to catching up with you when the next MLS season rolls around. When will that be? Yeah, uh, preseason opens in a month, <laughs> um, so yeah. it w- it's not too far. The opener is, is February 26th of next year, so it won't be too long. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will come in handy when Mikel Arteta finally bends the process altogether. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet, minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply, and please gamble responsibly. Mm, let's talk about City and now. James Horncastle, top four. Still only four points between them, but a slight rejigging of the order this last weekend. Inter have gone top, one point ahead of Milan, 
Atalanta have gone third, Napoli dropping to fourth. Napoli beaten this weekend at home to Empoli. That incredible injury list catching up with them. Yeah, um, and also I think the fatigue from from Thursday night in the Europa League, that uh, win against uh, Leicester, mm. uh, which saw them through to the um, what to the playoffs. But uh, Empoli, I think you know we should uh, take our hats off to them uh, a little bit because um, coached by Aurelia Andreazzoli, um, yeah, the guy who, whose name is, is given to that great skill by Rodrigo Tade, the brilliant William Defoe lookalike from uh, sort of. Uh, late 2000s Roma. Um, yeah, the newly promoted sides over the last few years have, have, have tended to be absolute whipping boys. Uh, you, know, you think of Crotone, you think of Benevento, just embarrassing themselves. Um, Salernitana probably go fit into that category quite well this year. Um, instead, Empoli and Venezia um, mm. um, deserve some some real praise. Empoli, who'd already gone and beaten Juventus um, in Turin at the Allianz Stadium, go to the Armando Maradona beat Napoli uh, a bit more opportunistically than um, than they would have liked. A couple of weeks ago, they obviously beat Fiorentina in the Tuscan derby, which is is, is very big uh, for Empoli. And um, again, uh, sort of Liam Henderson sort of involved in that should be should be in the Scotland squad when these when these uh, games come around again um, in uh, what February March time. But right. uh, how much yeah, does he pay you to say that? Uh, <laughs> No more than PSG pay you and carry him, carry him, carry him. Liam the dream. Liam the dream. Liam the dream. Liam the dream. Right. Also, former Wolves striker Patrick Cotroni uh, with that goal there at the Diego Armando Maradona. Venezia, meanwhile, the other high-flying newly promoted side, who are now six points clear of the drop. Uh, They had a a draw with Juventus, who we had thought were going to fly through their next few fixtures and maybe close, close the gap a little bit, or at least that was the suggested narrative. But only yeah. a one-one draw at the Penzo there. Yeah, I mean they took the lead, but you know Morata near post, sort of back heel, um, kind of difficult chance he scores, uh, gets presented with lots of easy chances, doesn't score them, and Juventus again making very hard work of of uh, of a team in the bottom half. Um, mm. You know as well as Venezia have done in kind of overturning Roma and Fiorentina at the Penzo, um, they were without some of their. Um, first team players uh, going into this game you know, Ceccaroni for example uh, at the back a nice story about Mattia Aramu the, who got the equaliser because um, Aramu was you know once uh, kind of fated as this you know, next big thing in Italian football was coming through the ranks at Torino is, is from Piemonte which is obviously where uh, Juventus are the, uh, themselves from and, 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 and he got the goal and has been very much um, you know the one of the reasons why Venezia have been doing better than expected um, in the in the top flight so far this season, but you know Juventus have really struggled for goals this season, uh, and I think that's the reason why uh, you know Allegri, you know even knowing that Dybala you know wasn't a hundred percent after the Malmo game, decided to risk him all over again because Dybala is the one consistent source of goals, and he's the one consistent player who keeps getting injured um, mm. at Juventus, um, and, and that's what uh, happened. This time, and that's what happened after just twelve minutes um, of of the game at the Penzo. And I think even then, you thought, okay, where are the goals going to come from? And you know, that's that's been the recurring problem um, since yeah, Cristiano abandoned uh, Juventus after what uh, the first match day of the season. Yeah, indeed. So, all right, Juve getting left behind now in the race to close in on the top four. Fiorentina are now two points clear of Juve. Fiorentina four points behind Napoli, trying to get into the, the top four picture, but looking absolutely sensational. As you mentioned, Duzan Vlajevic with another two goals in their 4-0 win over Bologna. Uh, massive celebrations there at the Artemio Franchi. Uh, slightly poignantly, though, at the end, when the team went over to the Curva Fiesole, where the kind of ultras are, Vlajevic wasn't allowed to. He, the fans had told him you, you can't come and celebrate with us. So he had to stand behind the one of the benches and, and wait for his his teammates to come back. That's that's the kind of that's where we are in the kind of impasse between him and the fans of this club that he will leave soon. Well, he, he's he's told the club that he will not be signing a new contract. Um and the, yeah, there's been tension between the club and, and the agents that represent him. Um, you know, can they find a solution that satisfies all parties? But yeah, I mean, since the the defeat in Venezia, 
uh, when the players went to say sorry to the travelling fans. Yeah, I mean, on that night, Vlajevic had to be kind of pulled away because you know he he was subject to some abuse uh, from a section of the travelling support, and and then didn't take a penalty uh, in front of the Fiesoli uh, in the in the Cagliari game. Um, he did then go and take a free kick, which he scored <laughs> uh, at the other end. Um, but uh, I mean, he he is putting up remarkable numbers. I mean, um, I, I think Jules was talking about uh, Kareem the Dream because Kareem had paid him to say it, um, that he'd scored, what, more than 30 goals this calendar year in all competitions. You know, Vlajevic, I think, is now up to 32 in mm. 2021. I think only Cristiano Ronaldo has scored uh, more in, in in a calendar year in in Serie history. I think he went past Luca Toni this week, did, uh, did Vlajevic from Toni's time at uh, Palermo. And he's got 15 for this season, which I think I'm right in saying only Robert Lewandowski at Bayern has got more of in the league. Anyway, just crazy numbers. He's 21 years old and will cost an absolute fortune for somebody. Yeah, um, we're looking at 80 million. That's the that's the fee that, uh, yeah, if you want to get to the negotiating table with Fiorentina, there it is. Um, I would like them to keep him until the end of the season because I think they do have a shot at getting at least uh, a Europa League spot. You know, mm. the, the way they're playing at the moment, Champions League, you know, can't necessarily be ruled out either. Um, so, you know, why lose a player at this stage when you can maybe get a similar fee in the summer plus the money from accessing the Champions League? Um, yeah, I suppose the counter argument is what if he gets injured? What if he stops scoring? Um, is his value ever going to be higher than it is now? Um, so these are all kind of cons- considerations in this, I suppose, game of brinkmanship that is going right. on at it's, the moment in Florence. As Duzan himself says, you have to risk to grow. So maybe that's a message for, for the club. Alvaro? No, I was going to ask, uh, in regards to Juventus, uh, I couldn't ask before, are they ready to spend a lot of money this winter uh, for a striker? Because I know that they have to be very cautious when it comes to the payments now. But still, if Dybala <laughs> is, the main, is the main man up there, uh, and Morata, they haven't been very reliable lately, especially Morata, I would say. No, I think that you know they were. I mean, they claimed to be shocked uh, at the lateness of Cristiano's departure. Uh, and while they signed Moise Ken, you know, Ken has been out with injury. He's still very young. Um, I think there's a feeling that yeah, it's too much too soon to basically expect him to be the the go-to guy. Morata has been deeply frustrating. I think um, this season. Uh, especially. Um, um, but in terms of money, I think it's very difficult, Alvaro, um, right now because of the impact of the, the pandemic, um, because of going out earlier in the Champions League in the last couple of years to, to Porto and to Lyon. And I think they'd have to get players out. You know, I think looking at you know, someone like Kulusevski or Aaron Ramsey, um, I think only if they were able to bring in money would they be able to, to reinvest in January. Well, the one team we haven't mentioned uh, yet in this section, at least, are Inter, who looked phenomenal. A week ago, it was a 3-0 victory over Roma. This time around, they took on a, a side in the bottom three, Cagliari, but messed them up a treat 4-0. Lautaro Martinez got a brace. Uh, he could have had a hat-trick. He missed a penalty, as per usual. Chalanoglu continuing his exceptional form uh, with, with probably the pick of the goals, would you say, James? Yeah, although there were some lovely goals uh, mm. from Inter, and they are playing lovely football. Um, I think they they have more of the ball than they did under Conte. Um, I think it was a conscious decision when Conte was coached to g- give the ball away a little bit so that they could transition and, and break on players and uh, break on teams using, you know, Lautaro, um, Lukaku, and Hakimi. But um, yeah, now this team feels a bit more multifaceted. Um, players are kind of interchanging positions um, and they're an attractive uh, side to watch in turn. They've scored 98 goals in 2021. Um, they've only scored more in, in, in 1950 and there's, I think, a couple of games to go um, as well. So, yeah, Simone Inzaghi having praise uh, heaped on him because, um, yeah, this this team was supposed to be going into meltdown and instead it's 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 still on the up um, and uh, looks to have, have gone to another level um, as well. Um, and I think a couple of reasons for that. I think uh, as we saw at Juventus when Conte left, there is this feeling like, okay, we've got this mentality now. It's ingrained in us. We know how to win. Um, 
but there's more freedom of expression, there's more levity. And sometimes in, in that environment, the team can uh, hit new heights. And I think that's what's happening under Inzaghi. And I think also, yeah, Inzaghi, it's, it's his opportun- first opportunity at, at one of the big three. He wants to show that he deserved to, to get that position. I think the players also want to show that they can win without Conte in a year where if they do retain the Scudetto, it would be the 20th in their history and it would get a prestigious second star chance mm. to go over their crest. Realistically, do you give them any chance against Liverpool? I give them a chance, yeah. I think as much as Inter have uh, struggled in Europe in recent years, there has been a breakthrough um, this this season. Even though they lost in both games against Real Madrid, they were the better side um, in, in, in both of those games. Alvaro, you're smiling. Do you, do you, do you disagree? No, no, I no. don't. I thought, I, th- I thought they played very good football um, against... At against Bernabeu, Madrid. they were very good. Especially yeah. in the first half. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I do give them a chance. I think I, because I, I think they have a they're a more solid team um, than 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 the others. More solid than Juventus at this moment in time. More solid than Atalanta because Atalanta concede like twenty goals in the group stage and yeah, live by the sword, die by the sword. Um, Milan, first time in Europe in seven years, had some injuries. Uh, I think in Inter, uh, in both sides of the game, defensively. And uh, offensively, uh, look look good, and that's why I think last Thursday I I kind of said I could see them getting into a semi final. That was of course before a draw with Liverpool. <laughs> but I, I I think I told you on I that night. I said to you, <laughs> wait until they draw Bayern. And well, instead it was Liverpool. <laughs> but I told you. But yeah, no, I give them a chance, James. But Liverpool for me are the favourites for it. Of all the sixteen teams. Uh, of all the 16 teams, I mean, uh, for, for me, the, the, the two best teams in Europe at the moment are Liverpool. Well, I mean, Liverpool, Bayern uh, and, of course, City. But, uh, yeah, City, there is always that doubt. Um, Chelsea, I mean, yeah, you can't look beyond the English teams. And the, the, the three English teams, excluding United and, uh, and, and Bayern, are the, the teams that I think are the, the, the ones set for the final four of the, the Champions League if they avoid each other. Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, speak about Bayern next as we hear about the Bundesliga. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Rafa, Bayern Munich now six points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. Uh, a 2-1 victory over Mainz uh, this weekend, while Dortmund are only managing a 1-1 draw at Bochum. Julian Nagelsmann becoming the youngest manager ever to notch up 100 Bundesliga wins. What did you make of them? Well, as has been the case often in recent weeks, they don't look quite um, that imperious. They did go 1-0 down and only Sewell taking the lead and the first half Bayern really struggled but Mainz also played really well. They've been one of the most improved teams in the Bundesliga since Bo Svensson took over at the tail end of last season. But then again, this is often the case Bayern in the second half they just tried a little bit more, played a little bit more a bit more conviction, a bit more pace and of course they have the players to to make the difference with uh, Kingsley Coman and Jamal Muziala then uh, winning mm. the game for them. I think you could see, or you can see, that they haven't got their best midfield out. Josu Kimmich, still not quite ready after his uh, COVID infection. Um, news of his lung being affected. It's right. apparently not a grave uh, and serious concern, but enough for him to 
sit out the rest of the games before the winter break. Uh, we've had no Master Sabitzer with injury, and also Leon Gretzka has been um, hampered by some uh, muscle problems. So that left really uh, Tolisso and Jamal Musiala as, as Bayern's only central midfielders, and Musiala, of course, is more of a more of a creative player anyway. And that's, I think, allowed opposition teams to escape that kind of suffocating dominance that Bayern have had maybe earlier in the season. Mm. Joshua Kimmich, there was a lot of talk of those lung, the damage to his lungs being quite serious, but you think by January he should be back and, and playing at the same levels? We can only go by what Julian Nagelsmann has said. That, um, apparently it's not a serious thing. Um, Joshua Kimmich also did an interview on Sunday with German television, explaining that um, explaining why he hadn't been vaccinated and he has now changed his mind and will be vaccinated as soon as his uh, recovery period is over because the advice is not to get an immediate vaccination after you've recovered, so it's going to be a few months. But yeah, he certainly admitted that it was a mistake not getting vaccinated and that he'd been yeah, led by led by fears and concerns that ultimately weren't uh, justified by the facts. Mm. All right. Well, best of luck to him with his recovery. Uh, meantime, speaking of recoveries, RB Leipzig, uh, new manager for them, Domenico Tedesco coming in, former Schalke man, and masterminding a 4-1 victory at the weekend over Borussia Mönchengladbach, firmly handing over the baton of team in crisis to Gladbach if they weren't already in possession of it because they've now lost three in a row. Huge pressure on, on their manager, Adi Hutter. Yeah, they've been playing really badly and uh, you know if you get beat 6-0 at home against Freiburg and then another 4-1 defeat uh, away to Leipzig, uh, things, are, things are pretty problematic and of course just to perhaps make uh, the situation more fraught, Gladbach will be taking on Adi Hütter's former team on Wednesday, Eintracht Frankfurt. So uh, Max Eber, the sports director, turned up in uh, Das Aktuelle Sportstudio, German television football show, and said, we have to show cojones, we have to stand up, we have to do all the things that you say when, when you're not playing well. He also hinted at uh, the team not following orders. He included Adi Hütter in the list of people that he found were responsible but he said the responsibility lied with with everyone at the club including himself so Adi Hütter not immediately I think under danger in danger but uh, getting to the point where people I think beginning to wonder whether it was the best appointment Um, Tedesco on the other hand uh, great start we know that there's real potential in this Leipzig team we know that uh, I think he's a very talented coach who in the past had a team with very limited ability in, in Schalke and was quite defensive but I don't think that's in his nature and I think Leipzig did a really really smart move um, I think Tedesco from everything I've been told with people who work with him or wanted to work with him and offered him other jobs etc is is a very good manager and I think he should take Leipzig back into contention for for further or even fourth fourth spot Borussia Dortmund, as we mentioned before, only able to get a point from their clash with Bochum. Uh, happier news for them in the Europa League draw. Rafa, getting Rangers? Yeah, I don't know if it's the best draw. I think Rangers will look at this and, and believe they have a chance of knocking Dortmund out. Dortmund have been so inconsistent. They got knocked out in the Champions League. That's why they're in the competition in the first place. They lost against Sporting. They lost twice against Ajax. They haven't really been convincing uh, at this level. So, yeah, of course, Dortmund have some really talented individuals and they have Erling Haaland, but I think Rangers have a chance. So I don't I don't think Dortmund will be gloating uh, after this draw. I think they'll take Rangers very seriously. Raf, I was going to ask about Ilaix Moriba from RB Leipzig because last season at Barcelona, he looked like the you know one of the first good prospects of the team. He played a Clásico, he played well. And uh, then there was a bit of a Mare Magnum when he left Barcelona because... Uh, the club offered him decent money, but yet he preferred to go away. Uh, he thought that he deserved more. And uh, to the point that then at the end he changed allegiance and he won't play for Spain anymore. I think like he's going to play for Guinea. So it looks like he burned the bridge a little bit with Spain. But at the same time, it looked like Spain was losing a good player. But he hasn't played a lot for Leipzig, though. I mean, he's normally pretty anonymous in the games. 
Naja, ich bin, ich bin uh, on the fringes of the team, Alvaro. And I mean, you, you understand that if you have a chance to go from Barcelona to Leipzig, I think anyone would take it at the moment, the way these two clubs are, are going. But in all seriousness, um, the reports are that he just hasn't quite adjusted to the pace and the physical demands of the Bundesliga. That he's very technical and very, very good and does some beautiful things, but lacks a little bit of robustness. And of course, as we know, under Jesse Marsh, there was a lot of running and chasing and playing without the ball, which also perhaps isn't quite his his game. Uh, I think under Tedesco, if Leipzig as a team play a bit more football and go away from the Jesse Marsh blueprint, that should give him also more chances to get on the pitch again. Well, with midweek action on the way in France and Germany and all sorts of other delights then this weekend, that's where we'll wrap it up for today's Worldwide Football Roundup. We're back next Tuesday for our final Euro show of the year. So unmissable stuff, Secret Santa, all that stuff, it'll be happening. For now, it's many, many thanks to Julianne, Alvaro, James and Rafa and producer Charlie and you listener. Great week, everybody. See you on Tuesday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.